Hey, thanks for being a part of the conversation. This is Play It Forward. Real people, real stories, the struggle to play it forward. Episode number 581 is with Alan Paul, author of Brothers and Sisters. Hey, good morning. How are you? I, I, we did this for Texas Flood. I remember that, I remember you and I remember doing it. So thank you for having me twice. Oh, absolutely, dude. You're on here. I, I, I think at, at the end of every conversation, I always said the door is always open and here we are again. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I wish I had this when I was when I was just starting out in radio. I, I just this is the kind of stuff that as an on air talent we wanted to bring the story to listeners. But the only thing we got was Joel Whitburn. I love Joel, but it wasn't this book. Yeah, thank you very much. I mean I appreciate it. I'm I'm, you know, totally honored to be able to tell these stories and to have them, you know, received by people and people are enjoying them. And uh, I'm getting great feedback. The book's only been out for a day as we speak. And um, it, it's so gratifying. I mean, I, geez, I felt great about this book. But, you know, it's a thing sitting on your computer and working for, for years. And then, you, or, you know, and, and then it, you know, the progression is amazing. And then finally you get a copy in your hand. It's an amazing feeling. But the real birth of it isn't isn't when you get that copy it's when other people get the copy so um it's really really gratifying so and, and i'm thrilled that now i can talk about it with great people like you instead of it all being theoretical oh my god alan i mean to relinquish it though i mean we all go through a a, a painful moment where it's like okay this is no longer my child i have to give it away H- how did you deal with that um geez uh i i certainly know exactly what you're talking about uh but it's ultimately not that hard for me uh it, it doesn't mean there's not regrets i mean gee i've already found a couple of mistakes uh <laughs> in the book and you know i read the audiobook which was a great experience and the audiobook by the way is really cool it has about 40 clips well exactly 40 clips of guys in the band talking oh. um from from the my interviews and from Kirk West, which is an incredible stash of interviews that we can talk about that that I was able to use. So that's really cool. But uh, and I was thrilled to be able to read it. I wanted to do it. I pushed to do it, and I'm glad I did it. But I did find some mistakes while I was doing it. I found sentences that I thought, oh my goodness, that should have been three sentences, and so that, you know that should be a different paragraph. I mean, yep. it's impossible not to do that. So. But but the reality is, if I had kept it for another month or six months, there still would be things. It might be different things. So it's just part of the process. And I'm sure you know this from interviewing musicians. I mean, I, of course, before I ever wrote a book or became a recording musician myself, um, I interviewed so many musicians. And so many times you, you say to someone, oh, I love such and such song. They say, oh, my God, really? I can't stand my guitar right. tone on that. <laughs> yeah. You know, because it's six months after they recorded it. And and I I always intellectually understood that, but I never emotionally understood that until uh, I started writing books because it's the same thing. You, you eventually have to sign off, and it's okay. You know, that's part of the, the, the life of being, uh, you know, creative person in, in whatever form you're creating you have to ultimately accept it. And you know there's gonna be things you wanna change and it's okay. You, because you know some people never can get over that and, right. and they write great songs or great stories or great books. And because of that fear, they don't put them out. And uh, I think that's a lot sadder. I'm glad that that's not a problem I suffer. Um, I, can, I can accept that I'm a flawed being and the 
everything I create <laughs> will have some flaws, but it's all about the the big picture. And in the big picture, you know, I feel great about this book. So, but Alan, they didn't have smartphones where a lot of these musicians today are dropping their tracks and 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 their riffs right on the spot. I mean, I mean, when when brothers and sisters came out, I mean, they they had to either record it on a tape recorder, a cassette recorder, or someplace. Otherwise, it would have been lost forever. Yes, that is true. You know, there's a great story I have in this book, which I was I was thrilled to find. I hadn't heard this. I talked to Buddy Thornton. Okay, he's he's the engineer at Capricorn Studios. So generally, you know, who cares about the engineer? Well, you never know. I talked to everyone. I mean, uh, first of all, they're interesting guys. But he had a great story that he was in the studio one day alone. And the, the band wasn't recording. And Dickie Betts came running in with wow. his dobro. And he said, set up a mic, set up a mic. I need a vocal mic and a, and a guitar mic. I, I got something. I got to record it. He had just written Pony Boy. And wow. he didn't have any means of demoing it. And so he, he, he grabbed his dobro and he ran to the studio. Buddy was the guy there. He quickly set up a stool and two mics, a vocal mic and a guitar mic, and he recorded it really literally so he remembered it that ends up being the version on the album wow. i mean what you hear on the album is the first time dickie betts played that song and of course they they added uh an acoustic guitar and uh drums but it wasn't really drums it was butch truck stomping his feet on a ply, ply, piece of plywood so uh they layered onto it a little bit but that, that's it and so that, that I love that story it was one I had never heard and it, it turns out that most people in the Allman Brothers orbit hadn't heard it so um, there were t- tons of little tidbits like that I mean that's that's a fun but relatively insignificant one and there, there's a lot of bigger ones in here as well and it's it's just fun I mean it's it's really exciting that I, I could be writing about the Allman Brothers for 30 years and keep finding <laughs> new stuff you know and there's a lot of it a lot of it in this book which I'm really happy about and proud of <laughs> do you do you think that's the reason why when when you turn on the music it sounds brand new because you know with Dickie Betts doing that I mean my God it, it's in the moment of now yeah um boy that's a good question I I have wrestled with that a little bit myself and I and I keep in in interviews various in various ways that concept keeps coming up yep. not what you suggested about why but the question of why why does this music still sound so fresh and you know, you, on the first hand, I, I think that's a good theory. That That is part of it. Um, and I think not just that song specifically or not just an, uh, an example where they literally recorded a demo and that became the final version. But I think more broadly, there was a lot of spontaneity happening. Um, and what you hear on this album is the sound of a band going through the grieving process of losing a member, losing another member, integrating two new members, and obviously that created a lot of problems and tensions yep, and yep, sadness, yep. but it also created incredible focus. I mean, Lamar Williams plays the bass on all but the first two songs on the album, uh, Wasted Words and Ramble Man were Barry Oakley. I mean, these are the first weeks he's playing with the band and it, he did a remarkable job. I mean, you listen to it, it doesn't sound like a band working in a new member. It sounds like an incredibly cohesive band. Chuck Lavelle had just joined the band at the very start of the recording, and his piano is all over it. I mean, the very first songs he recorded were Wasted Words and Ramblin' Men, and listen to the piano. Yeah, it's incredible. So um, it, I think it was just such so much in te- incredible, incredible focus uh, going on, and, and it comes through. You can hear it. 
You, you know, you you just shot me back to Billings, Montana as a kid when you talk about the piano, because I, I would sit there, I would hear that piano and I would tell my mother, please teach me this piano. And my mother was very much against rock music and she wouldn't do it. So I had to learn it, how, how to play those parts in an Almond Brothers song on my own piano because my mother wouldn't teach me. <laughs> well, um, she should have taught you. I but, wish uh, <laughs> I wish I could go back and do yeah, that. But yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, she should have taught you, but at the same time, uh, her not teaching you forced you to learn it by did. yourself, yep. and probably learn in a, in a in a way in a more profound way. And um, so, uh, you know, it's it, it music played just a more central part in culture. Uh, music played a more central part in everybody's lives. Uh, Dickie Betts literally dropped out of school at 16 and <laughs> ran away to join the circus. Not the metaphorical circus, the actual circus. Uh, he played in, in like a, um, you know, center, what did they call it? Uh, he, he played in a band at the circus. You know, they were like the rock and roll kids. And this is in the early 60s and early Beatles happening and stuff. So, um, you know, Dwayne Ullman dropped out of school at 14 wow. and was playing music full time. Uh, Barry Oakley, a bass player, dropped out of school to go on the road with Tommy Rowe and the Romans. So I'm not saying that I suggest anyone does that, but, uh, you know, Jimmy Vaughn, uh, my last book was on Stevie Ray Vaughn, Texas Flood. Jimmy Vaughn dropped out of school at 14. Stevie Ray Vaughn never finished high school. Um, I, again, I'm not suggesting that this is a great path, uh, certainly for my kids, <laughs> but um, it was a different culture. And none right. of those guys were like, by any means, stupid people. I just want to make that clear. And they were not a delinquents or whatever. They were just um, that dedicated to the music. And it played that central of a role in the culture that it, it didn't seem like an unreasonable thing to do. So. I, I think all of that factors into why this music was so good and why it, you know, resonates 50 years later. Well, I've always called the Allman Brothers great head music in the way that I felt like the universe was moving through them and somehow it landed in my ears. And I just felt like that they were receiving and then giving away as fast as they could. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to look at it. And, and I think the Allman Brothers, one of the things that makes them unique is they are great head music, but they're also great body music oh. and great soul music. Yep, yep, yep. A lot of bands are great at one of those things, um, and only a rare few can do all of them. Yep. And they always could do that. You know, they've got that blues swagger. I mean, One Way Out is not a head song. That's, that's a gut punch song, and it's beautiful. Um, Elizabeth Reed is a head song. You know, Melissa is a beautiful folk song. Oh, Blue Sky. I mean, yeah. they operate on so many different levels. And um, that's, to me, why they have stood the test of time. And they wrote great songs. Uh, you know, people talk about the Allman Brothers and the Grateful Dead, and they think of the jamming and the instrumental majesty. And that, of course, is important and a big, big part of both of these bands. But the reason that their music has stood the test of time is all that stuff was built on the bones of really really great uh songs so you know i mean the grateful dead were aren't the grateful dead without ripple and friend of the devil and china cat sunflower and franklin's tower and the allman brothers aren't the allman brothers without all the songs we just mentioned right. ramblin man and jessica and come and go blues just on brothers and sisters the the album in question so um it's just all of the above <laughs> there's, there's bands that can do some of it and then the, the handful that can do it all 
are the ones that stand the test of time and that we still love and listen to and write books about. See, the thing that always gets me, Alan, is the fact that how did the Almond Brothers get to me in Montana? And the reason why I bring that up is because I, I'm from that age where FM radio was still a baby and Drake Chenault was controlling everything on the FM dial. I, I still don't understand how my heart found the Almond Brothers. Because <laughs> the heart will find what it needs. Ah. You, you know, uh, I, 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 I mean, I have a similar story. You know, I'm a little older than you, but uh, still young enough that it, it wasn't, you know, I shouldn't have been so into this music when I was. And I grew up in Pittsburgh and I just wrote an essay about that because people kept asking me, you know, how did a Jewish guy from Pittsburgh become the ultimate Almond Brothers right? insider and biographer? And I mean, it happened because I loved the music and I was fortunate enough to have a job at Guitar World magazine where I could keep getting access to the musicians, uh, develop the relationships. But before all of that, it was just because I loved the music. It had this power on me. Uh, I love a lot of music and I've always loved a lot of music, but something about the Allman Brothers resonated with me and resonated in my soul. Uh, from the very beginning. So I just I just wrote an essay about that in a publication called Pittsburgh Quarterly that just told my own story a little bit. And, uh, you know, I'm glad that this book gave me the opportunity to do that because, you know, I, ha I hadn't really sat down and, and ironed it out. Um, but, but ultimately, you know, you hear all different kinds of things and what resonates, resonates. And I, I, it, it's hard to explain except that what it does, it does. Let me ask you a question. Now that you've written this book, does it clear the soul and the writing energy to be able to explore today's music? And the reason why I bring that up is because, I mean, the members of Tesla, every one of them are going out there to find new bands, but radio isn't playing the new bands. Do you have that yeah. energy in you that says, look, I need to go find these people? Oh, boy. Uh, sometimes yes and sometimes no would be my honest answer. So um, I love discovering new bands. So yes. like when I go to a festival, I go to the Peach Festival every year. Um, you know, I played at it this year and I, I gave a book talk. And well, I usually do some kind of official thing. But I also spend some time just wandering around. And I do feel like if you go to a festival, it's on you to find one new band you yep. really like. Yep. In the end, you know, somebody's already made some pre-selections. Somebody made the effort of sorting through these bands. So um, I walk around, you know, a few years ago, I discovered the band Fruition. I mean, they had been around for a long time, but I hadn't heard them. Right. When I get really busy, you know, like the last couple of years, I've been writing this book and I've been just slammed. And now um, I've been promoting the book. I mean, it, it becomes a full-time job. And at times like that, it's really hard for me to go out and see new music. I mean, because I, I tend to lean more and more on, uh, you know, the things I love. Another great way to discover new music, by the way, is to go on Spotify or any of the music yeah. services, yeah. whatever you listen to, and just put on the radio for a song you love. Uh, I mean, go put on Blue Sky Radio, and um, <laughs> it'll just start pulling things. A lot of it will be familiar stuff that you already know and love or don't love. But um, some of it will be new music, and uh, I, I, I've discovered some great people that way. Then, then I like the song, and then I double back, and you know, you can go deeper and deeper. And, and that's what a lot of us did in the first place. I mean, how did so many people discover Muddy Waters because they heard that uh, the Rolling Stones were named after a Muddy Waters song, or yeah. they hold, heard the Allman Brothers do Trouble No More, and they thought, oh, Muddy Waters, who's that? And yep, they went yep, and listened. Yep, yep. And uh, of course, not everyone does that, but a lot of people do. And, and it, it, you know, you can still do that now. 
You know, the, the one thing that I've always talked about in my writing is the fact that I've always believed that the Allman Brothers were the social media. We talked about them without having to have an internet connected to it. Yes, that is true. Um, I mean, you know, the, the other thing is that radio could be way more viral. Um, you know, and, and so when the song became a hit, it got played over and over and yeah, over. Yeah. So it was its own form of social media in a way. And, you know, sometimes the song's detriment. I mean, you can get sick of something really fast. Um, but also it just exposed a lot of people to, to, to the music. I mean, if it was making it onto the radio, um, it was really making it. I mean, you would hear it, really hear it. Do you still hear the concert commercials uh, that were played on the radio? I mean, I can hear that voice on Cook Radio in Billings, Montana going, the Allman Brothers are coming to the Metro. I can still hear it today. <laughs> Absolutely. So as I mentioned, I grew up in Pittsburgh and uh, De Caesar Angler was the promoter and uh, I can hear that voice perfectly. Yes. Exactly. Uh, De Caesar Angler production. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that meant, some, that meant something to me. And, you know, I would hear those all the time and I, I went to a lot of shows. Of course, I didn't go to a lot of shows, but, um, you know, I was fortunate to, to grow up in an era when for some reason my parents didn't quite know what I was up to and just let me go to these concerts yeah. however the heck i was getting there to and from so um it was a great era and yes those radio ads had a huge huge influence on me i mean i still remember uh very much um the black and blue tour black sabbath and yes. blue oyster call yes. oh my god <laughs> yeah 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 See, I don't see people getting excited, yeah. getting excited for something like that, except for, it, for a Taylor Swift concert. But I mean, but 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 when we heard that three months from now that this band is coming to town, I mean, everybody in town got excited about it. Yeah, that's right. And, and in a way, you know, we have we have everything available to us now, but it can be hard to know even what's happening in your town. I mean. I used to go, you know, on my way to work every day in New York City at Guitar World. I would pick up the Village Voice every Wednesday. Came out on Wednesday morning, pick it up, and, and yes, I would read the articles. But you know why I really made sure I got it every Wednesday? The, the ads for clubs and yeah, concerts. I that's mean, it. that's where that's where they announced uh, shows. So I go sit down at my desk with a cup of coffee and a pad and paper, and I'd flip through it immediately. Go to the ad the ads not the editorial and see what was happening and make a list okay august 5th you know uh, allman brothers at jones beach make a note to get call someone to get tickets etc i mean um in that non-digital world where everything was put in one place it was actually easier to find things and it's a bit weird because everything is much more at our fingertips in ways that i personally uh, really like and embrace uh, but I do miss more things. I, yeah. I do. I'm, uh, things that I'm not aware of um, that I used to be really on top of. So um, it's a struggle. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's hard to get the word out on a book, for instance. I mean, I'm, I appreciate the talking to people like you and especially a, a lengthy conversation like this. But um, it is a challenge. Like, wh whatever you're doing, I mean, I have a band and we do great friends of the brothers, but it's really hard to keep people's attention. So um, <laughs> some people want to be alerted to things six months in advance, you know, so they yep. can put it on their calendar. And some people, a lot of people these days, probably including me to a large extent, make their decisions like that day. You know, oh, oh that sounds good, but am I going to be free, you know? And, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. We're moving fast. And, and, the, and, and with social media, 
we all have access to so much information at once that any one piece of information can get lost. I mean, that is something that happens. And I think that's why album like brothers and sisters also brings us back yep. uh, on some level to this, you know, era before all that, when things were a little simpler. Um, and of course, it was you know that's that's always an exaggeration because life was never simple for people and um but the day to day life because you weren't aware of all the other stuff happening in the world um it was easier to focus on what was going on in front of you i think that's probably a better way to to describe it god i could talk to you all day dude i really could holy cow tell michael tell those other people to get off the line we don't need to talk to them cuz i'm going to talk with alan for the rest of the day <laughs> Unfortunately, rambling man, we got to wrap. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen, Air, I'd be happy to talk more anytime you want. You can reach out directly to me or to my publicist either way. And be, I really enjoy talking to you as well. So I'd be, would be my, my pleasure to do more if you ever want to. Excellent. You'd be brilliant today. Okay, Alan. Thank you very much. You too. Appreciate that.